Hello and welcome to this episode of the South American Football Show. This week we're going to be looking at uh, Venezuela, uh, obviously a country that was minnows in South American football for, for many decades, but is suddenly emerging and is becoming extremely competitive. A game against Venezuelan opposition is, is far from a guaranteed three points as perhaps it once was for, for the bigger sides 20 years ago. Uh, we've seen a great youth generation coming through, and now we've seen impressive performances in the Libertadores from Venezuelan sides, and the national team looks perhaps closer than ever before to getting to a World Cup. So a lot of positivity. Um, and someone who has been championing that uh, Venezuelan growth and that Venezuelan potential in football is uh, Jordan Florit. Um, Jordan is the author of Red Wine and the Rappers, How Football's Becoming Venezuela's Religion. Uh, Jordan, welcome. Hi, Simon. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's, it's really nice that Venezuela is getting some attention uh, in, the, in the media um, at the moment. So, I, yeah, I'm really happy to talk to you today. Excellent, excellent. Well, we can start off with some good news. Um, it looks as though Venezuelan domestic football is on its way back. Uh, if you could let me know, uh, what's the situation with the league? What is the plan for the return of football in Venezuela? Yeah, so the the season was suspended uh, originally in March, um, and soon after was then um, like permanently suspended. Like it was made clear that a return to the league as it was uh, wasn't going to happen. Um, that really became permanent when uh, Nicolas Maduro, uh, the president of Venezuela, made it um, like a, a national state um, emergency, um, the COVID situation. Um, and in the past few weeks, discussions about restarting the league have actually taken on some some weight. It's been rumoured for a, a month or two now when they would get back to football. Uh, but now the Venezuelan Football Federation has been um, placed under a FIFA normalization committee following the death of the Venezuelan Football Federation president, uh, Jesus Baradanelli, at the beginning of August, things have really started to pick up again. So the Football League is going to be returning on the 14th of October. Um, they've changed the format. There were 19 teams at the beginning of the season um, back at the start of this year, uh, just a week or two before the season was about to start. Uh, one team, uh, Llaneros, uh, were relegated to the second division administratively by FIFA uh, because a player bought a lawsuit against them for unpaid wages dating back a couple of years. Um, and yeah, FIFA basically told the Venezuelan Football Federation that that team had to be relegated. Um, so just weeks before the start of the season, suddenly there are only 19 teams in the league. Uh, when it restarts in two weeks' time, um, there's only going to be 17. A further two teams have um, dropped out uh, they've chosen not to participate in the resumption of the league. All teams were given a free choice whether to participate or not. It wasn't obligatory. Um, and they were even given the guarantee that if you don't participate, um, you're not going to get relegated. So, you know, there was nothing to fear in that sense. So the league's going to resume in a two-group format. Um, each group is going to be headquartered in a different state. So teams aren't going to be playing their normal home and away games at their own stadiums. Um, and yeah, that's how they're going to proceed with it. And it's going to be split into two phases as well. Uh, so it's a complete reformat of the league. Um, at the end of the first stage, uh, the teams that are top of Group A and gr Group B will play off in a, in a one-game final to decide the absolute champion. And they're the two teams that will qualify for Libertadores. Um, and then the teams second, third and fourth um, will play off against each other as well. Um, in a series of finals um, to decide the 
slot that they will get in the Libertadores um, for the teams finishing second, and then the Copa Sudamericana for the teams finishing third and fourth. Sounds good. Sounds good. And in terms of the kind of the giants of Venezuelan football, who are the kind of biggest three or four teams who uh, generally compete for the title? And are there any teams who are kind of emerging or or becoming increasingly competitive in the league? Yeah. So like historically, the giants um, who who are still uh, in existence, because a lot of Venezuelan football giants have um, over the years, the clubs have become extinct or they've undergone you know, transformations, which mean they're barely recognisable, like change of name, emblem, often even changes of city. But the enduring legends, the enduring heavyweights of Venezuelan football um, are really uh, Caracas FC, uh, Deportivo Táchira, which is just on the border with Colombia, and uh, Estudiantes de Merida, another Andean team. Um, and those three teams were all uh, heavily involved for in the title fight last season. Um, like a few other South American countries, uh, the Venezuelan uh, season is split into two parts, an apertura and a clausura, an opening and closing stage, and there's a champion of each. Uh, the champion of the apertura last season was Estudiantes de Merida, and the uh, champion of the clausura was Caracas. They beat Deportivo Táchira in the final of the Clausura. Uh, and then, yeah, so it was Estudiantes versus Caracas in the absolute final last year with a Car- with Caracas winning um, on penalties after two legs. Um, but in the last decade, there was the emergence of uh, Zamora FC based in Barinas. Uh, they were the most successful team of the decade, um, winning the most titles in that time. And they finished the decade winning the Copa uh, Venezuela as well, uh, a trophy that at that point they hadn't won in their light, latest guys. Um, and they they won that in December. And then a few of their best players moved abroad. So you had Joel Gratterol, the goalkeeper, going to uh, America de Cali, and uh, Christian McCoon uh, going to uh, Inter Miami, the new MLS franchise. Okay, and in terms of the the enthusiasm for football, um, because uh, you know people without a knowledge of South America will think, "Hey, South America, they're all crazy for football." And for many years, it wasn't so much the case in Venezuela. Um, you know, a lot of baseball fans, kind of historically a closer tie to the United States. Obviously, that's significantly broken down in the last decade or so. Um, but is Venezuela enthusiastically uh, supporting football? How important is football in Venezuela today? Yeah, so I, I'd say I'd say it's very important. Um, that that's the reason why I named my book what I did: How Football's Becoming Venezuela's Religion. Um, there's still like a debate to be had over whether football has eclipsed baseball. Um, plenty of people will tell you that it has, and that football now is the number one sport. And if you look at participation rates amongst the youth, football is now overwhelmingly the leading sport, more so than baseball. Um, but like baseball won't lose its importance uh, to the country. Like it's a massive part of its sporting history and tradition. Um, but yeah, like football to for me, and I think the reason why it is now the predominant um, like social activity of the country more so than just being uh, you know a game of twenty two men on a football pitch, but something people rally around. The reason why I think football has become that in Venezuela, become such a a focus of the society. Is because like it, it offers a like a positive representation on a global stage that other sports don't offer. Like baseball's World Series isn't you know how a football fan would describe a World Series or a World Cup. Like it's it's competed by um, you know the numbers are tiny compared to a football World Cup or or uh, the Olympics, for example. I think it's really only the Olympics that comes close to the global stage that football provides, and that's why 
football has become so important to to Venezuelans and why the hope of qualifying for their first World Cup because they get to qualify for one is is so great and means so much to the the country because qualifying for Qatar would put Venezuela in the eyes of the world in a positive light and that's something that Venezuelans don't get at the moment they don't get to be seen in a positive way in the eyes of the world um, just because of how the conversation on Venezuela is dictated by politics and you know the financial uh, crisis that the country's going through as well okay sounds good and in terms of final question on some domestic football uh in terms of the teams there does seem to be looking at some of the 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 best performers in the libertadores for the venezuelan sites it does seem to be a lot of youth in the team is that something uh, across the league do they value and do they put importance in some of the youth players that they get minutes in domestic football in venezuela yeah so it's it's definitely a a conscious result um of uh, approach uh, of approaches of managers, but also approaches that like the league have enforced. So in 2007, um, so going back 13 years now, um, the year that Venezuela hosted the Copa America uh, for the first time, a rule was introduced um, to the league format. And Richard Paez, who was the manager of the national team at the time, um, when I met with him last year, uh, he told me that the rule was his doing. Um, although he wasn't around to reap the rewards of it, it was his suggestion. And that suggestion was every team would have to start with a under 20 in their starting 11. And that if that under 20 player was substituted, it had to be for another under 20 player. Um, and that's been enforced for, for 13 years now. Um, so lots of under 20s are getting minutes um, by rule. And that's sort of caught on and you get multiple young players um, starting games and playing games. On top of it being like a, a regulation, also a lot of Venezuelan talent is now um, leaving the country at an early age, whereas that didn't happen before. Venezuela didn't have a player in Europe until the early 90s, uh, didn't have a player in England until 99, and then didn't have an Eng a player in the Premier League until 2012 with Fernando Amorabieta. So its impact in Europe was non-existent, well, virtually non-existent until the 2000s. Um, and that really changed with Richard Baez, uh, who was the national team manager at the time and knew that it was important for the national team to be playing in Europe. Um, international friendlies, for example. So they played Nigeria at Vicarage Road, uh, Watford Stadium in 2003, and they had other friendlies in like Switzerland and Austria too. Um, and that's had a good impact on how Venezuelan football is in the eyes of the world and its development. But what it now means is that a lot of players get the chance to leave Venezuela at a an early age. Um, and then coaches have a like some say an over-reliance on very established older players like over 30. And what it means is like there's not much of a middle ground in Venezuela. Players are either very, very young um, or towards the very end of their career. Um, like, you know, Atletico Venezuela this season, they have put a lot of money in youth in the past few years, which now needs to either come to fruition um, or people will question it. Um, but they also have quite a lot of older players and they've, they invested heavily at the beginning of this year in older players that are, you know, proven, um, proven pros in the league, like Jesus Gomez, who's played in Mexico, um, and numerous other countries. He is, I think, 35 years old now, but like still signing him was like a marquee signing because of the experience that he brings and the quality that he has. 
Okay, absolutely. And I suppose as well, this will help qualify for the Libertadores, which gives an additional platform for their younger players to, to make that move abroad as well, I imagine. Yeah, and it's it's a, it's a massive um, lifeline for Venezuelan clubs. There's not much money in the game in terms of sponsorship and there's not much money in the game in terms of TV revenue or matchday attendances. Matchday attendances in Venezuela are, are minimal, like a a high turnout for just a standard league game um, is no more than like 2,000 in stadiums that can hold, you know, anywhere between 20 and 40,000. So stadium attendances aren't, aren't a revenue generator in any way whatsoever. So one way that clubs um, rely on for money is qualifying for the Copa Libertadores. Qualification to the group stage is worth $3.5 million, which can bankroll a club for an entire year. But also getting players into the Copa Libertadores to be seen in the eyes of the, the football world is massively important. And you look at Caracas and Estudiantes de Merida, the two teams that are, are representing Venezuela in the Libertadores this year. Um, and they're both they're both very young squads. If you look at the youngest scorers in the Copa Libertadores this season, um, you've got uh, Venezuela having three of the 10 youngest scorers, um, two Caracas players, uh, Anderson Contreras, who is a, a very, very talented midfielder, 19 years old, who will almost certainly end up in Europe. Um, and a young striker who was uh, making his debut, uh, Sao uh, Garirapa, who came on and scored the winner last week. Um, so the Venezuelan clubs have been successful in the Libertadores with these young players. Um, but it's something that's like a constant churn, like a measure of the success is that those young players won't be there next time they're in the Libertadores. Sounds good. Okay, let's. Um, that sounds all positive. What about women's football in Venezuela? Um, we've seen a few stars coming through in Venezuela's women's game. And uh, what is the current situation with women's football? Is there a league? Is it up and running? Is there any signs of return? And are there any players who um, have have kind of helped lead the way for for women's football in Venezuela? Yeah. So hopefully, I hopefully I can answer all the all of those points um, in in a a series of sentences that uh, make sense altogether. But uh, in short, right now, um, I can't lie, the situation is dire for women's football in Venezuela domestically. Um, a couple of years ago, 2017, I believe it professionalised for the first time. Um, and that was seen as like a big step, like it should have been, and it should be celebrated that that happened. Um, but it hasn't really lasted out in terms of um, it being treated as a professional league. Uh, and a lot of that is down to, as in the men's game as well, like old habits dying hard. And we had recently, like uh, a few of my uh, colleagues were able to attend the meeting between the players union and the, the women's league. And there were players like airing their concerns to the union um, that they hadn't been paid since March. So one player that I know well, Diani Perez, she plays for 
um, Lala FC, which is a team in Puerto Adas, which has been very hard hit by COVID. Um, she moved to Lala in February. Um, she played for Zulia before then um, all her life. It's where she was born in born in Maracaibo. Um, and yeah, at the age of 18, having played professional football for three years, uh, she moved to Lala and it was an exciting move for her. Um, she was challenging herself to play in another part of the country, which also meant playing in another league because the women's football is regionalised for their leagues. Um, and it was all very exciting. And then COVID hit in March. The women's league was suspended. Um, and so she's been at this club for seven months and she hasn't been paid once. And she's, you know, 1,500 uh, kilometres from home. Um, and in a, in a really dire situation, she can't get home to see her family because of, well, she hasn't been paid um, because of the transport issues because of COVID. Um, and like her story is symbolic of the situation that women's football in Venezuela has been in this year. You've got players that haven't been paid for months, um, ignored by their clubs. Um, it's no exaggeration to say that like I've, when I've been speaking to her, sometimes I've been the one to deliver news to her um, about what's happening um, with her own club. Um, and that carries across to the men's game. Uh, Lala FC, the men's team, their captain Francisco Parra. I was talking to I was talking to him one night, and I'd, I'd literally just said to him um, because they were talking about the league resuming. I said to him like, "Oh, are, you, are Lala going to compete in the rest of the season? Like, I see that they're mooting a date for it to start up again." And he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had conversations with the president and the manager." And one other teammate just this morning, or maybe he said just yesterday. Um, and yeah, the the um, the aim is for us to play. Um, they've said that we're going to play and that all our contracts will be paid. Um, and literally whilst I was talking to him, I clicked out of WhatsApp and into Twitter. And Lala had released an official statement saying that they weren't going to be participating in the rest of the, the season. And I messaged him saying, like, have you seen the statement? Like, you've just told me the opposite. And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I had no idea. Like, this is news to me too. So like it... Venezuelan football has been very shaky this year and it's hit the women's it's hit the women's league harder than the men's um because it hasn't had the same like care and attention that the men's has but the issues are the same whether it's in the men's or the women's game um and that that issue with the payment has existed in the men's game this year as well um but it isn't spoken about as much. The, the issues in the women's game aren't spoken about as much as they are in the men's, even though these are the same issues effect, affecting both. Um, and it's a shame because when it comes to the, the national scene, the national team, um, women's football has a lot of importance in Venezuela. So much so that when they, um, the under-17s qualified for the World Cup finals in 2016, like a documentary, a film that's won um, awards around the, the world since was made about their journey to the World Cup. Uh, you had Dana Castellanos, who was like the poster girl of that team, who's now at, um, at Atletico Madrid as of January. Uh, Veronica Herrera, who plays um, university football in America while she finishes her studies. Uh, Dani Usco Rodriguez, who's at Braga. Um, and uh, Sandra Lazardo as well, who's in Spain. And then just this... Um, just this month, in fact, Yelian and Moreno, the under-20 captain, has just moved to Tenerife. So you've, there's this real um, imbalance, if you like, between the love that Venezuelan football has for its national team and the care that they give their domestic league. Well, hopefully, hopefully the situation can improve because it definitely does feel like there's a, a bit of a movement there. It's similar to Colombia. Um, there definitely feels like there's enthusiasm for the game. 
but perhaps uh, on an administrative side, uh, more more can be done to encourage that and allow these players to reach their potential. Absolutely. And then you've got overseas, um, you've got Venezuelan footballers doing so, so well, um, like Oriana Altuve, um, who was at Real Vallecano last season, uh, scored 13 goals. She's just moved to Real Betis, who have gotten a really exciting project um, for this year. Uh, she's had a good preseason. She she scored four goals in three games over the weekend in the Copa Andalusia. Um, and she's got a really exciting season ahead of her. Like She's considered for all of the limelight that Dana uh, Castellanos gets and, and rightly gets and deserves for the work that she puts in. Um, like Oriana Altuve is... is just as talented, just as fearful up front, uh, but doesn't get the same attention. Um, it's a reflection of her personality. She's she's a quiet girl, but like she's she's deadly in front of goal. Like it, it speaks for itself. And this season with Betis is going to be really exciting for her. Um, and I think that she's going to do really well. And then the under twenties, um, the national team, the under twenties national team, have the South American. Um, championship finals in November when COVID began. They were halfway through. Um, the South American Championships, um, and then they had to postpone it. That was in Argentina. Um, so the final stages of that are in November, and the teams, the top two teams, will qualify for the Under Twenty World Cup, which is next year. some of the transfers I mean there's some big, been some moves for uh, some you know national team players I mean one who we've been uh, enjoying for years despite his young age is, is Wilco Farinas uh, moved to Lille from Millonarios um, a slight delayed transfer we expected he would might maybe move a little bit earlier um, yeah. but what are your thoughts on this move on uh, for Farinas so I was I was really excited about it um, for, I sort of started to like fall in love with Venezuelan football in 2017 um, during the Under-20 World Cup. And, you know, Farinez was a, a pivotal player in that squad. Um, and I've been, like, r- ranting and raving about him ever since. And um, I don't I don't play the games as much as I used to. I don't have time. But anyone that plays football manager will know, like, Farinez is a beast on that game. And so a lot of people that knew nothing about him in real life, when they saw that he'd moved to Lille, were really excited for that move. Um, I remember like talking about his move on Twitter and so many people commenting saying, oh, he was a hero for me on Football Manager, blah, blah, blah. And like he deserves that hype because he's he's a tremendous goalkeeper. His performances at the Copper America in 2019 uh, were excellent. And that was just, um, you know, the most recent string of, of great performances that he's had for the national team. He really benefited from Rafael Dudamel being his coach at the senior team level and the under 20 level. Dudamel himself was a goalkeeper um, and the defensive football helped him. Um, Venezuela were, were always going to come up against the likes of Brazil and Argentina, Uruguay and have to defend heavily and have to fend off a lot of shots. And that's exactly what happened. And Farinez was a key part in keeping the scorelines down and eventually getting them up from, I think it was like 74th in the world rankings when Dudamel took over in 2016 to 25th when he left. Um, like that's a huge climb. Um, and Farinez was was pivotal in that, and and yet he's still so young. Um, last summer, uh, just around the Copper America times, he was uh, offered to West Ham, um, and West Ham said no, he's too short. And you know, it's 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 sort of crazy that that 
is something that still persists in this day and age. Like, obviously, there's a value for a goalkeeper being tall, and of course, it has like natural advantages. But like Farinez's talents that he has should outweigh the fact that yes, he's on the shorter side. So a lot of people were excited when he moved to Lille. Unfortunately, he hasn't started a league game yet. Um, it's a real shame uh, because a player of that quality, if you're going to sign him on loan for a year, um, especially when it's uh, it's known that there's an option to buy in that contract, you'd hope he'd be getting some more game time. But the, their number one has remained their number one. I can't remember his name at the Kepper, I think. Um, he's remained the number one. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's over 30. He's an experienced goalkeeper. Um, so a lot of Venezuelans are like scratching their head over like why this move happened if he's not going to play. Yes, well, I'm delighted to say we've had our own our own transfer incoming. <laughs> Nick Carter has joined us, who has a, has been covering Venezuelan football as well. So it'd be great to have y- your thoughts, Nick. Nick, welcome. Oh, hi guys, thanks for having me. Hi, you're very welcome. Uh, Nick, what what are your thoughts on uh, Wilco Farinas? Uh, do you think he's going to be successful in France? I really hope so, but I guess um, I think, like Jordan will say, um, it's very, very disappointing not to see him start any games yet. So I think he certainly has the ability. I think this is now really a big test of his mentality. Can he sit it out? Can he, can he wait for his opportunity? Uh, and when he gets it, then can he take it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Nick, what are your thoughts on uh, Jan Hurtado? Um, moved to Brazil, uh, had the move to Boca initially. Um, a, a really impressive performance for the U20 Venezuelan side as a really effective target man. Um, played some minutes, he did quite well in Argentina, uh, had a few minutes of Boca Juniors and has now joined uh, Red Bull Bragantino. Um, do you think this is a good move for him going to Brazil? I think, uh, I, th- I think it all depends on game time, really. So I remember watching Hurtado come through with uh, Tachela, um and he was 17 and he was he was fantastic. And I think um, he, he he was the best player in that side at the time. He, he looked all right. You know, he looked a properly good goal scorer. He had the physical ability to compete with, with you know, fully developed adult players. Um, and then there was the whole uh, business with him not playing for a year. There was the... The, the arguments with Tachira, he, he moved to Colombia. There was talk that he, he would join a Colombian side, talks that he'd throw his hat in internationally with Colombia. Uh, and I think that really set him back that kind of uh, year off the, off the pitch that he had. So I do, I kind of worry a little bit about his development. How much did he miss out on that? I thought the move to you know the move to Boca was was fantastic for the story of it. it was a, it's a big club to get to. But he didn't really get many opportunities. So I really do hope that in Brazil, he gets the game time. I certainly think he's got the ability, both technically and physically, to succeed. But again, it, it's the mentality. Can he can he wait for his chance and then take it when he gets it? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, he's a player I have really liked. I was really impressed with him. Uh, the way he bullies defenders has been great. Uh, Jordan, what are, your, what are your thoughts on a, on a move to Brazil for Hurtado? Yeah, I think the like the, the positives uh, to focus on um, is that the the, the loan again uh, there's the option to buy at the end of it, as far as I'm aware, and that that leads to a, a place in like the Red Bull hierarchy, if you like. Like he'd be part of he'd be part of a, a system where there's a pathway that there's a clear identity across the separate teams. Um, there's also other Venezuelans that are currently in the the Red Bull setup and have been previously. Um, I know he he hasn't uh, he's been on the bench quite a few times already since his move to Brazil. Um, but like definitely what Nick said about his his physicality and the qualities he does have, 
um, are there. And he's been, he's one of the, I think he's the only player that we all know is in Venezuela's 23-man selection for the upcoming friendlies. Um, the team was a, was due to be announced on Friday, but then because of what MLS clubs were saying, they didn't release the the 23-man squad plus the seven reserves. But uh, Red Bull Bragantino had already announced on Twitter that uh, Hurtado is one of those 23. Uh, so there's that. You know, he's still in the national team setup, um, and he 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 is massively valued. Um, I just want to go back to saying when I was talking about Farinas, I kept saying Lil when I meant uh, Longs, obviously. Uh, so I just wanted to correct that. Okay, now no worries. Um, so what about uh, Alexander Gonzalez? He spent a few years in Spain. He's off to Dynamo Bucharest. Uh, Jordan, I'll start with you. Is is he a, is he a good player? Is this a a step down, or do you think he's going to kind of uh, bounce back from this move to maybe a lower profile league? Yeah. So I th- the good the good thing about it is he's the starter again. Um, he's made a good start. He's scored already. Um, you know, he's a right back, so like goals isn't isn't what you're signed for but like he's already grabbed the goal um he started well with them and I think although uh you know maybe a move to Romania isn't the same as, as playing in Spain like the the teams he were was playing for in Spain um were struggling like in recent years he he played for Huesca um I think it was Mirandes that he was at last before going to to Bucharesti so um I don't I don't think he'll worry about it being like a downward step. Um, the a good thing that's happened for him in the past year is that Dudamel was no longer manager. Um, he he'd fallen out of favour um, under Dudamel in the right back slot. Yes, they have Roberto Rosales, who's a quality right back, but he can also play left back, which is a, a place that Venezuela has struggled for in recent years. Um, so yes, in since Dudamel left, like a lot of people, uh, like journalists in the past week that are predicting their lineups for for Venezuela's games upcoming, a lot of them have Gonzalez as the right back. So I certainly don't think it's done him any harm. Okay, well, hopefully not. Hopefully that goes well. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on uh, Sergio Cordova? So he's moved from Augsburg to Armenia, uh, still in the Bundesliga. Is this a is this a good move? And do you think he's going to potentially feature for the national team again in the future? I certainly think that there's room for him in the national team going forwards. Um, Cordova was a very interesting one to me because he kind of he made a really big impression at the uh, was it the 2017 Under-20 World Cup. I think it was 2017, someone correct me if I've got the wrong year. Um, he, he made a really big impression there. But quite like a lot of that team hadn't really featured a huge amount uh, at club level. So he kind of crept in a little bit under the radar. Um, demonstrated his, his abilities really well, scored a lot of goals um, and looked really, really good coming in off that right wing. Um, it's quick, uh, very physically imposing um, and had, you know, was good in the air. Um, and so I think he earned a move to Germany based off of that, which I was quite surprised about um, given that he played, you know, very little for, for the Caracas first team at that time. And he did actually a lot better than I thought he would do. Um, I kind of think, uh, I was I was thinking when he moved, it was a bit of a similar sort of move to the one that uh, Darwin Machis made um, a few years previous when he, he had had a season with Mineros before, before his move. And it took him a while to establish himself. So I think Cordova did really well in his first season in German football. And again, I think this loan will be really good for him. Yes, it's kind of a smaller club. They'll be struggling a little bit more, but I think that means there's more room for him to, to stake a claim, to stake his place and really demonstrate what he can do. I think the the striker position for the national team um, is is presently, it's it's Rondon plus 
you know, there's no real defined number two as of yet, I don't think. Uh, Josef Martinez is, is injured, and I think we're a little bit unsure about whether he's going to come back into the international fold. Uh, and then the other players, you know, Hatado's not getting a lot of games. Alistair Greta has kind of flattered to deceive in the opportunities he's had so far. Uh, Cadiz hasn't had many games. Um, so, so Cordova's certainly up there, uh, and I really think he's probably going to be the third striker um, for this next squad for the for the next month's qualifiers, um, and he also gives you the opportunity that he can you know he gives you the, the variety that he can play down the right wing. Uh, so so I think yeah I think there's certainly a good future for him okay, in the national sounds team. Sounds good. And Jordan, what are your thoughts on Jonda Cadiz? Obviously, a lot of our US based listeners will be interested. He's moved on loan to Nashville from Benfica. He's had a few loans. Uh, do you think this is going to be the right move for him to show his best football? Yeah, I think he's 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 at an age where it. It has to be um, like he's he's 25 now, I believe. Um, his paperwork has just come through, so like that was the hold up because his transfer was announced like two weeks ago now. Um, and I know like a lot of uh, a lot of Nashville fans and MLS fans um, like are happy with the move because it's it's what Nashville needed. They like they weren't um, getting many goals, but like Kadith. It was weird because like it was only last year that Benfica signed him and that was a move that excited a lot of people. And yeah, he went straight out on loan. Um, but still Benfica had signed him and given him like, you know, a fairly long contract. Um, so like a, a lot of Venezuelan fans are, are like upset that he's gone to MLS. Like they're still, despite MLS's strengths, which, you know, it has many, like still a lot of Venezuelan football fans want their players playing in Europe. Um, they still see a move from Europe to MLS as like a downward step. Um, but, you know, if it revives his career, then it's a good thing. But um, yeah, he's 25 now. And I think this the season with Nashville has to be good um, if he's going to like stake a claim in the national team. Um, I don't think he's going to be in this. Um, he was in the 40-man pre-selection, but I don't think he'd be in the 23. Um, I don't necessarily think that's reflective of his ability, more so the fact that he's only just got the move to Nashville. Um, and if he's now in the 23, like it's going to delay his start with Nashville by another probably five weeks because he'll be on international duty. And then after international duty, if nothing changes, um, they have the quarantine rules that they're going to have to go through before they can then rejoin their clubs. Um, so I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not in this 23-man squad um, for that reason. Um, but like, yeah, this year is the, like the year that he he's going to have to show his talent if he's going to compete with like Cordova and Otado to eventually be like the replacements for Rondon when that time comes where Rondon is no longer the number one. Okay, cool. Well, Nick, uh, another player that we've been very, very in- interested in seeing his development. Obviously, a lot of hype, a lot of excitement. Uh, got that move to Manchester City, and then it's been in loans here and there since. Is uh, Yangal Herrera? Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Um, another loaner to Granada this season. Is that going to be a good option for him to continue his development? And will we ever see him at, at Manchester City or maybe in England in the future? So I think the the continued kind of loan with Granada is, is good for him. Certainly because it's an environment he's obviously very comfortable in. He's he's thrived in, um, and Granada are in the Europa League, so he's he's testing his abilities uh, at that higher level, um, and he's done really well so far this year. Um, I did at one point think we would see him come to Manchester City and I honestly thought it would be this summer I really thought I'd bring him back at this point but they haven't done and so I I, I think it's going to be very tough to 
come into a side like Manchester City um, with the amount of money they have to spend and the amount of squad turnover that they have. I don't know necessarily that he's a kind of Guardiola sort of player. So maybe maybe he's got a better chance of coming into Manchester City, Manchester City when, when Guardiola leaves. But I'd love to. I'd love to see him there. I really would. He's got such. He's so versatile. He's got such great energy. You know, he can really fulfil a lot of of, of midfield roles. Um, but I think possibly, maybe to his detriment is that he's not. He doesn't. I, I wouldn't say he kind of excels in any one area. He's not a specialist holding midfielder. He's not a specialist playmaker. He's not a specialist attacking midfielder. He's very dynamic. He does a lot of everything. And possibly, does that mean he doesn't do any one of those aspects of the game? Uh, you know, is, is he more a jack of all trades, master of none, to kind of use use an expression? Um, so I wonder maybe if that would affect him coming through at a club like Manchester City. But I certainly think he'd, you know, he'd, he'd be a success. Um, and I could certainly see him coming through another club in England. Um, I think he's certainly got the physicality for the league, and I think it'd be, a, you know, I think he'd be a really interesting okay, prospect anywhere. Really. Uh, and Jordan, we've got a couple more. Uh, well. It's interesting. There seems to be a lot of interest in in, in Portugal. A lot of uh, these Venezuelan talents seem to be going to Portugal. What about uh, Farrarese, who's on loan to Morenese, and also uh, links as well with Jeriel uh, de Santis, uh, a young player potentially moving from Caracas to Boavista. What are your thoughts on these two? Yeah, so um, to, to touch upon uh, de Santis first, um, he... It's interesting because like that that move was like essentially confirmed a couple of weeks ago. Um, but they they had an interview with uh, Miguel Mia Vitali, a former Caracas player who's now the sporting director at the club. An interview of him last week where um, you know he he didn't deny the he didn't deny the like imminent transfer, but did say like you know De Santis will be staying with us and playing Libertadores. But he hasn't in the two games that they they've had um, in recent weeks in Colombia and then at home. Um, against uh, Independent de Medellin and Libertadat, Heriel uh, de Santis hasn't played, um, and it you know that was the reason supposedly for him staying for a bit longer. Um, so it it will be interesting to see if this move does happen because it was it was spoken about as if it was all just a matter of time a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then yeah, the other one is an, another loan. He's uh, Ferrarasi is also part of the City Group. Um, he's spent part of this preseason, albeit very briefly, and part of last preseason, um, you know, training in Manchester um, with with Man City's under twenty threes. Uh, so it's another good step for the national team because he's going to be playing first team football in the the first division of Portugal, uh, as is another defender, Mikel uh, Villanueva, who uh, was at Malaga last season and for the past few seasons in general albeit a lot of time out on loan. He's made a great start in Portugal. Um, two games, two clean sheets, uh, including a win at the weekend um, away from home against Braga, I believe. Um, so yeah, he's made a really good um, start, uh, which is important for the national team because you've got uh, Jordan Osorio, uh, Osorio still looking for a move. Um, he's a Porto player, um, but is on the verge of joining Parma. Uh, the two clubs are currently negotiating whether it's going to be a loan with a an obligation to buy, which is what Porto want. Um, whereas Palmer, I think, are leaning on the side of just a loan with a uh, option to buy. Um, and then, yeah, the other the other centre back out of the three um, that are in the mix um, is is John Chancellor at Brescia, who were relegated to uh, Serie B, and then Will Karangel, who plays his football um, in Russia. Leonardo! Leonardo! 
Okay, sounds good. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the Copa Libertadores. Now, this is unfair because by the time this goes out, the games will have been played. But let's talk a bit about the clubs, how they've done so far, because I've been impressed. And, you know, there's a decent chance. We'll have to wait and see what happens in the next couple of days. But there's a decent chance Caracas could be getting out of their group. Um, Nick, what have your thoughts been on Caracas so far in this year's uh, Libertadores? They're in Group H with Boca Juniors, Libertad and Independiente de Medellín. So it's quite a tricky group, and I don't think many would have expected Caracas to progress. But right now, as we as we speak, they're one win and a and a result away from qualification. What have you been your thoughts on Caracas so far in this year's Libertadores? Uh, they've been fantastically entertaining. I think is the first thing I've got to say. It's 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 been really really good fun watching their matches. Obviously, they were uh, I think they were three 0 up against um, Medellin, uh, which was a match I didn't actually watch. So I. I um, but I saw, I kind of saw the results coming through. I saw the score lines. Um, uh, so to go three 0 up and then uh, to, to to concede two goals was, you know, they, they didn't make it easy for themselves. Um, and then I watched the uh, the last game against Libertad, which I think at times they, they they kind of at times they 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 were second best at times, but they, they hung on to the very end. Um, and it was a it was a it was a debut goal for a young 17-year-old striker by the name of Saul Guararapa, um, who came on as a substitute. He's not played in the league for Caracas yet. He's he's played he's made his debut so far in the cup. Um, but he hasn't he hasn't played in the league yet. He comes on as a substitute. Um, at this point Sammy Kente has got four defenders, four central defenders on the pitch, two fullbacks um, and a couple of midfielders and a striker up front. So he's at this point it's one all. He, he's holding out thinking a draw that's a good result. Um, there's kind of a long hopeful ball down the left wing. Uh, Captain Hernandez twists, turns his body a little bit, gets uh, floats the ball over to the far side, and Guararapa's there just to tuck it away. Um, it's his first goal as a professional footballer in the Libertadores, um, and and with these two results actually from this round of fixtures so far, uh, the win in Colombia and the win against Libertad. I believe that means, I think Jordan will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that means that Caracas have now beaten uh, a side from every nation in the Libertadores in South America. So, you know, they were missing wins over Colombian and Paraguayan opponents and they've done it. So it's, you know, it's it's a really nice one for the history books, but also it it shows quite just how competitive they've been, even with a very young squad. Um, You know, it's a very, there's a lot of kind of up and coming players um, Sam Vicente has trusted a lot in youth and they, they've really they, they've really rewarded him for that um, yeah, so I think the future's very bright very impressed. a nice mix of you know youth, ex- youth and experience as well uh, Hernandez has been a real standout uh, player but that last game, um, Echevarria as well came off the bench and was really impressive and uh, the, the number 10 oh that penalty was, was very very calmly taken sort of and Echeverria is only about 20, 21. I think he, he's, he's a very young player as well. So, you know, the composure to come off the bench and score that was great. Yeah, and uh, Contreras as well looks like a real player, the, the number 10. Um, Jordan, what are your thoughts on Caracas and some of these younger players? Who's your who's your standout? Who's your particular favourite? Eduardo Ferreira as well. I'm, I've been a fan of him for a while, the right back. Yeah, that, well, those those two those two in that order are my favourite. Um, Anderson, Contreras and then Ferreira. And I think Caracas are really lucky that um, when Ferreira moves on, which, you know, he he will because he's, he's good. And Caracas, you know, they are... 
although they're the, currently the best team in Venezuela and they're always going to be one of the heavyweights, like it is in their model to create young talent and, and move it on. So it's only a matter of, to, of time before Ferreira goes. And when he does, they have um, Luis Cassiani, a ready-made replacement for him, um, similar age, similar style, who I'm just as excited about um, having seen him play a few league games and cup games last season. Um, so yeah, Contreras is a, is a great talent. Um, and also again, only 19. Um, and it is, it's the same with Estudiantes in the Copa Libertadores with a, a very young squad too. Um, and yeah, just to touch on, on what Nick said with the, the victories over Colombia, um, and Paraguay, they've now beaten a team from every country in comparable competitions. They just need a win against a Uruguayan club in the, the Libertadores. And then they would have completed the set, um, in the Libertadores. So it's been, like a big two weeks for not just uh, Caracas, but like Venezuelan football as well. Um, that win against Independiente uh, de Medellin was the first victory um, for a Venezuelan side in Colombia, in the Libertadores. Um, and like these aren't fluke results. I know that the Colombian commentary um, on ESPN2 um, uh, for the Caracas game uh, angered a lot of a lot of Venezuelans, they, they said they found it quite patronizing, uh, the commentary, um, and like it got quite a lot of social media attention. So I think, um, you know, this, this year, whilst there's been lots of ills in Venezuelan football and um, hurt because of COVID, like they, they haven't just made up numbers and like they, they've embarrassed clubs um, and they've not embarrassed clubs because they're minnows. They've embarrassed clubs because clubs have, you know, they've not respected them and they've, they've taken them for granted. And, and Noel San Vicente is, is a very, very good manager. Um, and he's shown it with, with two well masterminded results. Um, you know, they weren't flukes, especially in Colombia. Like he had a very, very clear game, very clear game plan to go 2 0 up um, and then concede to go 2 2 and then go on and get a winner um, and hold on to it because that third goal came with still like over half an hour to play. And they got bombarded with shots. They were the away team. Independiente really stepped up. Um, and like San Vicente had a gig, a clear game plan. He was quite happy for the home team to have the ball in their own half. And you look at their pass completion rate um, was was poor. Like I'm, I'm fairly sure it was around 50, if not lower than 50%, because a lot of it was all about getting the ball up the field with long passes, with not much care for whether it resulted in keeping possession or not. And the Colombian uh, side's goalkeeper, um, his name escapes me, uh, he had to come off of his line and a, a lot of the time out of his box to sweep up these long balls um, that if he didn't get to, Caracas strikers were going to get to. Um, they played with Hernandez and Richard Celis, who has the most dribbles in the Libertadores this season on the wings. Um, and then they had Richard Blanca, uh, an experienced Argentine, leading the line in like a in a brutish way. Um, so yeah, like they've they've performed well. They it may have shocked a few teams, but like these haven't been plucky results. They've been well earned results. Yeah, absolutely. And Nick, Estudiantes uh, de Merida, I think I've been a slightly unlucky with some of their results. They've been very competitive. I I, I saw them look go toe to toe with Racing and were unlucky to drop points there. They're not as in quite a strong position as Caracas in terms of qualification, but. They have impressed me, and they've got about fifteen reverses. <laughs> so, what have you been your thoughts on that? Uh, I have a story about our, about the reverses. Um, um, so, it, I, I was very unclear which ones are related or not. Um, so, three of them we think are related. There's definitely two that are related, which are Edson and Ronaldo uh, brothers. Um, 
we think that Christian, the central midfielder, is related as well. We think he's possibly a cousin. And then the striker, Jose Rivas, is certainly of no relation. So for anyone that's watching and wondering where these four Reeves has come from, I hope that clears it up a little bit. Um, yeah, they've... In all honesty, that they're not as strong a side as Caracas are. They don't have the the squad depth. They don't have the kind of the infrastructure and organisation that Caracas do. So they're never going to do as well as Caracas. Um, that said, though, they've done really well. Um, they were a little bit lucky to beat uh, Alianza. Uh, you know, they, they were saved by a lack of VAR and also. Um, you know, the, the, Hubert Cuiada conceded a late penalty, which uh, was a clear penalty, but, you know, they weren't creating a huge amount from open play. Um, so, so I'd say they, they, were, they were a little bit lucky to beat uh, Alianza, but, you, you know, when presented with those chances, you still have to take them, and they still did. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a very late penalty, you know, a lot of pressure on that to win. Um, and, uh, you know, there's quite a story with, with the Studiantes that we all know. Obviously, uh, uh, the coach, Brignani, has been directing uh, matches from Argentina via WhatsApp um, and against uh, Alianza. Uh, so the, the, the assistant coach, uh, Jose Toralba, the former international, he uh, was sidelined with, he was self-isolating with COVID. Um, the physical trainer, uh, Douglas Pereira, he was suspended from being sent off from the bench on a previous match. Um, so it was goalkeeper coach um, Jose Rodriguez uh, leading the team out. Um, so that's quite a big story, um, you know, from, from with with you know with just the goalkeeping coach and you know some assistance via via telephone um, to, to mastermind that victory was was very well done. And then there's some really good, uh, you know, they, they didn't give up. They they did concede, uh, they conceded first, but they got themselves back into the game. Um, and some some really good substitutions. Uh, and the veteran Colombian striker, Wilson Maynard, really made a difference when he came on. He just, he led the line uh, a little bit better than than previously. Um, so I really like Edson Rivas, the youngster who played up front with, with Jose Rivas. Um, but for me, I think he's better coming in off the wing. I don't think he's, although he's a very tall guy, I don't think he's a, he's a natural kind of centre forward. Um, so I think someone like Mena is much better um, to lead the line. And I think that really showed. Um, and they didn't switch off. They took their chances when they got them and they very much deserved that win. Um, and then against Nacional, um, they were unfortunately just second best. But I have to say that's a, that's a very good Nacional side. Um, and it's a very young national side as well. There was a there was a lot of you know a lot of their first team weren't there, um, and some of the young players they've got coming through uh, were fantastic. And I think uh, I think that national the only unbeaten side left in the group stages. I think there's something like that, but they were fantastic. So that's a that's, that's a side to watch out for. I'd say. In terms of the national team, so uh, we have a new manager, uh, Jose Pesero. Uh, Jordan, what are your thoughts on the appointment um, and how do you think he's going to kind of come in and have an impact on the, on the national team? He's somewhat of an unknown. Um, like, he has a past. Um, like, you know, probably most notably, uh, he was the assistant at Real Madrid to Carlos Queiroz. He comes with Jose Mourinho's recommendation and like an endorsement. 
Uh, he's managed his in his own right. He's managed quite a few of the big teams in Portugal. Um, but I I was speaking to a guy called Ignacio Benedetti, who was the the former press officer for the national team when Noel San Vicente was manager. Um, he he now works and lives in Spain. Um, like he's obsessive when it comes to tactics and, and style of play. Um, and he said like Pesero doesn't really have a a playing style that you can put your finger on. So it's a bit of an unknown like this, uh, these friendlies coming up with, uh, sorry, not friendlies, these World Cup qualifiers coming up with, um, with uh, Colombia and Paraguay are really going to be not literally just our first look because, because it is, he's not had a game since he became manager in February, but also like our, the first idea of how he's actually going to play. Like we can't, we can't um, like pick a favorite 11 based on a formation we know he's going to play because we just don't know. Um, I was fairly underwhelmed when he became the manager. Uh, Dudamel leaving wasn't a surprise um, to me. I don't think it was a surprise to, to a lot of people. Um, the, the surprising aspect to it is that he's left just before a, like the beginning of a World Cup, World Cup qualifying campaign. But like his relationship with the Federation had deteriorated massively. Um, it was a. It was only a matter of time before he left. Uh, he was actively looking for a move to a club team while still being the national team manager. The only real surprise is is that he he didn't go sooner. Really, he left because he was offered the job in Brazil, um, which didn't last at all. Um, and Pacero has has had the job for seven months and no game time. Um, I. I don't have any expectation because I don't know what to expect. All, all I know is that I think Venezuela on paper and football alone um, have a very, very, very good chance of qualifying for this World Cup. I think what will stop them qualifying is everything that happens uh, off of the pitch. Um, and yeah, that's that's all I really have to say on it. Yeah, Nick, uh, where do you where do you see this group? Obviously, we've seen Venezuela grow, and as I mentioned at the start of the pod, um, they've gone from being Andorra to being very competitive in South American qualifying. And there's this sense that this may be their first chance to get to a World Cup. Um, they the the youth sides have come through, and they're starting to filter into the first team. Where do you see this Venezuelan national team right now, and and how much chance do you think they have of getting to their first World Cup in Qatar? Um, so much like Jordan, I think I don't really know what to expect from Pizarro, although I, I agree I was a little bit underwhelmed. Um, but that's a, probably a bit of an unfair take for me to have. But it's it's simply because I don't really know too much about him. Um, and I think there were a lot of names kind of talked about and have been talked about in the past who just sounded a, a little bit more exciting. I think the really big, the really big thing is going to be is, is how does he set the team out? Uh, I think it's no secret really to say that the most successful uh, managers in charge of Venezuela were um, were Dudamel and uh, Cesar Farias, and both of them were a more favoured a more sort of conserv- conservative style. Um, I think a lot of Venezuelans would like to see a, a more progressive style, a more a more offensive Venezuela, because we've got a lot of exciting attacking players. We've got Jefferson Soteldo, uh, we've got Jefferson Savarino, we've got Rondon. People want to see those players do really well, but I don't know really that there's enough behind that to to support such an a, a offensive style of play that would really unlock those players' potentials. But I think that was one of the main problems we saw with uh, with San Vicente's short reign is that. You know his very clear attacking style of play just didn't mesh with the players available to him, 
And I think if we look at the kind of preliminary squad that's been called up, there is a real dearth of of, of, of central of central defence um, of central defensive players that are playing regularly and in good form. And so I think really that the big decision Pacera has to make quite early on is is how is he going to play? Is he going to be uh, conservative and and play for results, or is he going to be is he going to be more progressive? and hope that a good style of football will get the results that are needed. Um, and I think until we really know that, I don't really know what to expect. Um, I would really like to see a kind of more progressive style, um, but I'm not I'm not sure that there is enough depth in the squad to support something like that. Um, so I think, I think it, it does need a certain degree of pragmatism. Um, I mean, I wasn't... The, biggest fan of Dudamel. I thought he was he was quite stale going forward. I didn't really enjoy watching his team play so much. But defensively they were fairly good and they knew how to play on the counter and he got some very good results out of it. So I suppose what I'm looking for is someone that takes the good parts of the game of, of Dudamel's side, of Farias' side, um, and takes what worked well and adapts what didn't work. So, you know, still still being quite solid defensively. Um, but but maybe being a little bit more adventurous going forward. Yeah, I think for me, uh, Soteldo, you've got to get Soteldo on the pitch. He's such a great player to to, to watch. And but I, I also respect the the way that Venezuela in the last uh, World Cup qualifying campaign kind of grew into things and became more more and more difficult to beat. So it feels in some ways that Venezuela are in a bit of a similar situation to Paraguay, kind of with with a good reputation for being solid at the back, but now with kind of plans to be a bit more expansive and, and whether they can kind of tie those two things together. Jordan, what do you think? And are they going to get to the next World Cup? Where, where do you see them? So I think, for example, at least on paper, you probably have uh, Uruguay, uh, Brazil, and then maybe Colombia and Argentina um, as kind of probably the perhaps the favourites for qualification. And then I think there's quite a few teams either going up or coming down, maybe Chile with an ageing side, um, Peru with a bit of an ageing side, Ecuador with some good potential, and Venezuela, who were the, the Ecuador of a couple of years ago, but with a lot of good talent coming through. Where do you kind of see them in terms of uh, the, the, the 10 South American sides? I see them as like bang in the middle. Um, and I, that, like, that's, they, that's where they need to be. You know, they need to get what I think they, they can get. Uh, which, which is fifth. Like if they if they finished higher than fifth, um, it would mean them playing very very well and some teams underperforming. Um, no one's going to care where they finish in the qualifying as long as it ends up with them in Qatar. Um, and like I was like I was saying um, earlier, I I think on paper, if you judge them by their players alone, um, then they are. I feel their their strongest eleven, their best seventeen. I think they have the potential to qualify for this World Cup. I just hope that um, things that happen off of the pitch and things that aren't directly football related don't hinder it. I hope that if they fail, they fail for for purely footballing reasons. Yes, well, it's definitely going to be an exciting story, and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get to see more of Soteldo, and and hopefully they can incorporate a few more. Uh, kind of a more unified attacking model, but keep that organisation. But but really, if if they get there, <laughs> that will be the story. Um, we've seen teams, you know, going to your first World Cup is a huge, huge thing, and I think it will be be a massive lift for everyone, all of the Venezuelan people. And you know, we've seen football in Venezuela become increasingly important and popular. 
uh, and getting to a World Cup would surely you know make that a concrete part of Venezuelan culture and Venezuelan identity to be a a real footballing nation and get to a World Cup. So, yeah, I think we can all look forward to seeing how that story uh, story un- unfolds. And uh, there's a lot of talent, a lot of young players coming through. We've seen the the Venezuelan representatives in the Libertadores showcasing some young talent. We've seen young talent moving abroad. So for me, it's one of the most interesting and exciting stories in South America. And World Cup qualifying has never been more competitive. And I think uh, seeing what Venezuela can do is all part of that exciting narrative alongside Ecuador, again, which uh, looked like to have a great young generation. Venezuela with a lot of good young players. Paraguay kind of evolving and bringing some of their youth through. So lots of interesting stories. And uh, thank you guys for your your insights. So uh, Jordan, where can people follow you on Twitter? And is there anything you'd like to point them in the direction of before we say goodbye? Uh, yeah, so on, on Twitter, I am the false libero, um, or my username is like Red Wine and Arapas, which is the name of my, my book on Venezuelan football. Um, yeah, follow me there. Um, I do have an Instagram called Red Wine and Arapas, but like Twitter is mainly what I use. Um, I also run a, a Venezuelan football uh, account on Twitter um, called Footvay English, uh, Footvay uh, being F-U-T-V-E English. Um, yeah. Sounds good. And Nick, uh, we've been following you as well for for a number of years on Venezuelan football. Uh, Where can people follow you on Twitter and anything else you'd like to say before we finish today? Yeah, so uh, obviously I'm on Twitter as the Red Wine, which is at Red Wine VZLA, uh, because it was a character limit, I think, when I signed up. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I... um, yeah, so follow me there. Um, I don't have Instagram or anything else. Um, what I would say, um, and a, a bit of a shameless plug, but not on my regard, um, is that if uh, anyone is interested in, in reading a bit more about Venezuelan football, um, Jordan's book is well worth a read. Thank you. It's very, very kind. And I've not been paid to say that, I promise. Um, it genuinely is a, is a very, very good book to read. Um, if you want to dip your toes into a little bit more about kind of Venezuelan culture, football, how that kind of all meshes together. I would very much recommend you take a read of that. Okay, great. Excellent. Um, so guys, go and read that book. And uh, also, if you want some more content on South American football, we have a Patreon now. Uh, there's hours and hours and hours of content up there. We just recorded today an episode all about uh, Lima and the culture of Lima, football in Lima, food in Lima, obviously a huge part of it. So if you sign up today, a few dollars, you can get literally i think there's like 40 episodes up there already we profile all the young colombian talent so if you like what we do you want to help us out sign up you can download immediately download everything is already there um and you can cancel any time as well so give it a go if you like it hang around uh, much appreciated and i just want to say goodbye thanks everyone for joining us today thanks jordan thanks nick for your insights and uh, we'll see you next time when we profile and discuss another south american nation Thanks again.